Hey, everybody. Event Right co-founder Andrew Krause here. We're going to do a whole hour of uh, Q&A, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, just to give you a heads up, what we teach at InventRight is licensing. So benefits of licensing is that you don't need to raise money, you don't need employees, and you don't need distribution. It's their money, their employees, and maybe they're already in 30,000 stores. So isn't that a beautiful thing? It's an absolutely amazing business model. So if you guys are brand new and don't understand it, keep watching our YouTube show and uh, get a better idea of it. Maybe get one of our books and maybe eventually become a student. So um, I'm going to jump in. Uh, let's see. Actually, I'm going to wait for a few more people to jump in, Chad, before I answer your question. Um, and then, uh, but I definitely have an answer for you, Chad. So you'll be happy about that. Um, Jeremy said, do I need one LLC per idea or just one LLC for all my ideas? So we always advise when you do a licensing deal that you do it under not your own name, but under an LLC or a corporation. I mean, we've never had a student have a problem with it, but it's always good to have that additional protection. Um, all, every student that I've ever known of just did it all under one LLC. I mean, if you if you were making like millions of dollars off multiple inventions, you want to isolate one from the other as far as the royalties go and you have extreme liability or something, you might do multiple, but I've never seen anybody do more than one. So um, no, you don't have to do an LLC for each one, but for whatever tax purposes or what have you, um, you may uh, you may decide to do that, but I've never seen anybody do that. They just put it under all one or one LLC. Somebody could type in uh, just yes, if you can hear me, just in case. I think by now you guys would have started typing, we can't hear you, if that was the case. Um, okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I'm going to jump back to Chad's because Chad's is a really cool. I've got a lot of, thank you, Edgar. He typed yes, you can hear me. Um, I've got a lot to share there, and I want a little few more people to file in before um, I answer Chad's question. Uh, Mr. Reaction said, I made cinnamon-infused plastic that repels ants, mosquitoes, and rodents. Any thoughts? Um, well, first off, don't publicly share what your invention is. Of course, I don't think people uh, listening to this are going to be like, I know how to do that. <laughs> so, but, but guys, don't, little disclaimer, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. And also, um, don't publicly share um, any inventions. Um, I don't know. You need to be a little bit more specific. I mean, I could brainstorm that all day long. I don't really want to brainstorm a, something that you publicly disclosed. Um, you know, obviously, if, if you're going to infuse something in the plastic, what are its benefits? Um, and you put it down there, repels ants, mosquitoes, and rodents. Okay. So what's plastic that you'd want to repel those things with? Um, what, what could you do with that? What could the product be? All sorts of possibilities there. So um, I think you probably already know that. I'm not going to expand upon your invention publicly. So then anything I come up is now public domain. I'm not going to do that. So, but my thoughts are that's pretty cool. Um, you need to look at the manufacturing processes for plastic and see if that that works, if does the cinnamon get distributed evenly? How expensive is cinnamon? Could you include enough? 
that would have an effect. Maybe something's a little piece of plastic and it's effective, but a big piece, it wouldn't make a difference. Um, so look at manufacturing, look at all the different applications. And then when you have all the different applications, look at the potential licensees. My guess, if you came up with something like that, you probably have some ideas about how it would be applied and used already. Um, but no, I can't just, I can give you those thoughts, but I'm not going to improve on It wasn't what you were asking, but I'm not going to improve upon your invention or go into too many specifics that might mess you up. Um, let's see what we got here. Okay, we got some more people that have filed in. So I think I'm going to jump on and do Chad's question. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, there's a couple of them here. I, let, me, let me make this a little bit bigger. There we go. Hi, Andrew. I just signed up and I don't have a coach yet. One of the companies reached back out to me after getting my sell sheet and is showing interest. They're asking if it could be made of a material that they already have sourced, which is fine. But they also have questions about intellectual property, such as patents. And I'm not sure how to respond to their question. They are under the impression that the patent is filed and changes cannot be made. I need to explain to them that I only have filed a provisional. Don't say only. That's perfectly fine. It's smart, actually. Um, because, and then I'll, I'll explain why. They want to change certain aspects of my design. How do I ensure that these changes still fall under my IP? Okay, so first, let's address your immediate need. Um, thank you for sharing, Chad, but let's address your immediate need. Um, you're a student now. You just signed up. So make sure to call. Actually, I would call now, listen to what I'm saying, and then uh, call the call our main number on the InventRight site. And I think Desiree or Carrie are working in the afternoon. Um, it's probably Desiree. And, and tell her that Andrew said, so you have a coach and they're there for you for everything. But then we also have a specialist, a negotiations coach. That's Paul Sorensen. And I see on his calendar, I'm looking over here at 7.30 Pacific. Um, that's Pacific time. If you're in a different time zone, if you're in Eastern, that's obviously 10.30 or in Central, that's 9.30. You get the idea. But <clears throat> tell her that Andrew said Paul has an opening in his calendar at 7.30 Pacific and he wants you to put me on his calendar because I just became a student and I'm in a negotiation. Tell her the funny story that you brought it up during a live stream. So, But listen to the rest of my explanation and then call her because she'll be there till 5.00. And she'll get you set up with Paul because I see he has a slot that's open there. We make times available um, for our students every day. Um, this particular one's just early in the morning for uh, students to talk to Paul about negotiations. So he can give you um, the specifics. He can get in more in the specifics of your product. So let's, because you brought this up, let's talk about it. So um, you got interest from a company. They have questions about... Um, they're asking me if it can be made out of a certain material uh, that they have already sourced. So you may or may not have the answer to that um, specifically, but you can make assumptions and go, well, yeah, I don't see why that wouldn't work. And just sometimes that's all they need, you know, um, give them your, your thoughts on it. But say, if you're not certain, say, I'll do a little bit more looking, but tell me about the, uh, what, what you want to do is you want to get on the phone with them ASAP and start a conversation. So that you might get on the phone with this isn't via email, this is via the phone, and you're going back and forth, and you guys just figure it out on the call. They tell you a little bit more material. Oh yeah, no, that would work fine, and you know, and then you could have a conversation. You may not know about that specific material and all the details of it, but they explain the properties to you, and then they're 
And then you're like, oh yeah, I think that would work. And they're like, oh, well, we'll look into that. Okay. So the other thing is um, you file a provisional patent. And when you file a provisional patent, you can legally say patent pending on the uh, sell sheet. You don't have to say provisional patent pending, nor should you. And that's perfectly fine. You're not lying. You, you, legally, you can say patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. So, uh, but sometimes uh, the marketing managers, they're, they're knowledgeable about marketing, but they're not experts at patents. They don't know, they don't know what the heck they're doing. So they might ask dumb questions sometimes, or they, they're not asking dumb questions. They're just coming to the conclusion that you filed a patent because maybe they don't even know what a provisional patent is, or they do, but just as patent pending. So they figured you filed it. Okay. So this is something that can be easily clarified. Um, I, you said I need to explain to them that I only have filed a provisional. I don't think you should explain that via email. I don't think you should explain anything via email. I think what you should do is talk to Paul, our negotiation coach, and then you should drop him an email, which is perfectly after you talk to Paul tomorrow. Don't reply to them tonight. He'll tell you how to reply. Okay. And you're going to request to have a phone meeting. That is the best thing you could possibly do when you get interest from a company. Most inventors try to go back for fourth via email. Not good. That's not how you start a relationship. It's not a relationship. It's just an email. Um, then you're not a person yet until you talk to them. Um, and it's much better so they don't jump to any conclusions. Um, they want to change certain aspects of my design. This is the last part of your question. How do I ensure that these changes still fall under my IP? Okay. So first off, when you, um, yes, that's my dog wagging its tail here. Um, when you, when you get interest, Piper, you're distracting me. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to my dog. Um, when, when you file your provisional patent application, you want to file it and you want to cover all the variations. Now you're not going to cover everything under the sun. Like, so your, your product is this, but you need to cover the other versions of it. Maybe another version is just as good, but not the version you're pitching. Maybe it's 75% as good. If you cover a version that's half as good in your PPA, you're getting obsessive and you're wasting your time. So when you file a PPA, you want to cover all those variations, workarounds, improvements, okay? Um, if you talk with this company, it's not like you're going to talk to them and then they're instantly going to run off and file their own PPA. They're never that fast. You really shouldn't worry about that. Since I know you're a new student, you weren't working with a coach, maybe you didn't do it just right, but don't. Don't really, I wouldn't really worry about that at this point. Um, so when you have conversations with them, figure out what the issues are, you know, and so you filed your PPA, you've covered all the variations you, you can think of, but they bring up some issue that you didn't think of. And so maybe they're going to come up with it, but they might just illust just tell you what the problem is. And then if you come up with a solution, I take the existing provisional you filed and then just it had A and B in it. And you add C, that new change or improvement you made that thought you had to fix the problem that they presented to you. And then you file that. It's only another $75. It's cheap, right? And so it's not, but let, let's say you didn't file it before you came back to them with your solution. Are they going to scam? Are they going to rip you off and all this stuff? No, I have never seen that in 22 years we've been doing InventRight. I really haven't. So I really wouldn't worry about if I'm doing this because I'm petting my dog. Um, <laughs> But I wouldn't worry about that, man. But what's going to happen is you're going to get on with Paul tomorrow morning and he's going to answer all these questions and a lot more for you. More importantly, he's going to tell you 
what to focus on on this call, okay? And that'll be based on some of the things they already said or an email they sent back or what have you, and he'll guide you. And so it's this is not the deal call, not even remotely. It's like an email. It's like a phone. Well, you got an email now. You do a phone call. Then you do four or five more emails. Then you do another phone call, four or five more emails. And this is over a period of months. This is how licensing works. This is how licensing negotiations work. So don't feel like you're going to mess up this deal. A big part of what you're trying to do on this call is not answer every one of these questions they have, if they have questions, but to establish rapport. To realize like, oh, yeah, we can work with this guy. He seems pretty level-headed and all that, you know. So you're probably worrying too much about this stuff. Sometimes they'll send you emails on things and then you'll get on the phone. They won't even <coughs> they won't even bring it up or it's like a side note. They just want to get to know you and talk about the product a little bit. Like sometimes, not sometimes, a good percentage of the time, people think like whatever the company sent me, that's what's more important, most important to them. But a lot of times they're just trying to start the conversation and you're misinterpreting them trying to start a conversation with that's the be all and end all for them. And then another thing that Paul, our negotiation coach is going to guide you to do is to guide the conversation. If you expect guys, if you expect um, now, Chad just became a student. So he's the benefit of Paul. But if you expect a company to guide you, almost all the deals you get on the table will die. They will not guide you. You need to guide them as much as they're guiding you. That's why we have students closing deals all the time because they're guiding the company. Uh, they're not guiding the company. You're guiding a person within the company, okay? So, um, Chad, now that I'm done rambling on that, and thank you for asking the question because it benefited everybody, um, get on the phone, go to InventRight, call the main number since you just became a student, and talk to Desiree or whoever picks up the phone. If, if she's on the line or whatever, just leave a message. She'll call you back real quick. And tell her that Andrew said that uh, you want to do an appointment, a meeting with Paul at 7.30 Pacific tomorrow morning, and I approve that, okay? Um, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, Dino said, hi, Andrew. Uh, do payments work? How do payments work when you license to an American company as an international licensor? Do royalties get affected because of different currencies? No, I've had students in over 65 countries. It's really not a problem. Obviously, I can think of a few obvious things. Um, you know, you get paid your royalties. So let's say it's a 7% royalty or a 5% royalty. They're going to pay you the royalty quarterly. Um, I just talked to a student and this company that she is, is working with, actually, I'm going to look at her contract a little bit later here, but um, they wanted to pay her monthly. And I'm like, that's a burden. Don't do that to them. Like 98% of the deals that we see, they're paid quarterly. It's every three months. So you're going to get paid quarterly. If you're international, that makes no difference. You're going to get paid a royalty rate. That makes no difference. They're going to figure out the royalty rate based on the U.S. dollar sales. And that now the only time when it might affect you is whatever the exchange rate is at the time. You can't do anything about that. You know, I mean, if the exchange rate at the time that when you're getting paid that royalty is higher or lower, the dollar is weaker or your currency is higher or lower, you know, your royalties may vary, you know, based on the currency exchange. But that is what it is. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. It's really it's no issue. I've never talked to a single one of our international students had an issue with that at all. Um, 
Uh, Richard said, in the coaching program, do we use video calling? Uh, what video calling program is most commonly used? So uh, in the coaching program, you can either talk to the coach on the phone or you can talk to him on Skype with video. Uh, Zoom is great for larger meetings, but for one-on-one, um, you don't want somebody to come into the meeting and interrupt you when you're privately showing your product to your coach. So that could never happen on Skype. If you set it up right, it won't happen on Zoom. But we use Skype. We use it internally at InventRight, and we use it with our students, and especially our internationals is going back to Dino because we can do video chats. We can do phone calls. and It doesn't cost either us or the student anything. So I really like it, and I encourage all new students to do Skype with their coach because when you're looking a coach in the eyes, you know, they can read your facial gestures to see if you're confused on something. It's all that much better. But I've had plenty of people that, you know, they just do the the phone coaching and they're fine with it. But I think it's really beneficial to um, get on. So it's Skype. We only use Skype um, for the video calling. It works great. It works anywhere in the world. And it's private. It's just you and them. You don't have to worry about somebody else coming into the room with Zoom. And we need like a bazillion Zoom links. It's just not... You know how Zoom works. That's not practical at all. When you're, a coach is going from one student to the next student to the next student, it, it, that would be a mess. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, Richard. This is other Richard's other comment. I agree. And we've actually looked into this, and I think we need to get back to it. He Richard says, the program would be great for people leaving the military and looking for a new career path. If you had a certificate to offer, they could use their military education funds to pay for it. Yeah, we've looked into that a little bit, but I don't think we're looked at it hard enough. We've had a lot of people say say that to us and we've researched a bit. And I think when people get out of the military, they have a certain amount of funds for, for education. Um, we just haven't gone through that process to get certified. Uh, we've had, I think in three different states, uh, states like uh, unemployment departments or re-education departments, fund the InventRight program in three different states for the inventor because they were part of this program. They'd lost their job, they're retraining, what have you. Um, and so we've done that in three different states, but that's completely different. And I, I told the group we should utilize that to go to the military and go, hey, three different states said, we're cool. We're, we're, we're not certified, but they, they agreed to pay for the program for the inventor. Um, so yeah, we, we should get back to that. Thanks. Thank you for the reminder. I appreciate it. Um, Derek said, have you ever seen a student license two or more inventions to the same company at once? It's just a curiosity question. Absolutely. I have, um, I don't, you know, usually though, just to give you a frame of reference, cause I can answer questions and I can say what's normal and what's not normal or what's, what's not typical. Usually when we have an inventor license more than one product to a same company, it's over time. They license a product that really goes well. They show them some different, you know, how to expand their product line with more product that, that expands that product line or a different version or the latest version or accessories for it or what have you. That's actually not that uncommon. And that should be something that you guys should all be doing once you license your first product, how can I license more products to this company, particularly when that product starts to sell well? Um, but I remember we had this, um, he was actually a French Canadian, I think he was from Quebec, but he was living in the Yukon, which is on the other side, I guess over there by Alaska, if my geography's right. And um, he licensed an entire line of camping products to this company. They showed him one, they were like, they were saying like, 
they weren't like, oh, let us evaluate this one. They're like, what else you got? What else you got? What else you got? And he kept showing us stuff. And I think he licensed like eight or more products all at once. So that is doable. I don't think most companies want to do that. I think they wanted to start kind of a new line. Um, I don't think that's typical, nor would I like push for that. I would try to get your first product licensed and then to that particular company. And then if they are interested, you know, at some point you can ask them, are you open to, well, you could ask them right away. Are you open to more? Oh yeah. Okay. And then maybe not send it right away. Maybe wait a week and send it something to them, you know, and, um, and so it's okay to show multiple products to the company, but in the way you make the relationship is by sending the first product. Once you send the first product, you've made a relationship. They realize you're not sending wacky emails and, oh, nice marketing material. Well, not right for us, but, you know, nice. And then you get permission to send more. Um, but just to, you wouldn't want to, typically you wouldn't want to go, here's a product line of 10. Um, it's possible. You could do it, but it could be a little overwhelming. And for some companies, one out there or the other, they might be like, oh, it's exactly what we're looking for. But otherwise, it's really going to turn them off and they're going to feel overwhelmed. And, you know, they might be a little, I think, less likely to pick through them and pick one. The problem is when you're presenting to a company, I mean, we just had a company say this the other day on one of our Bridging the Gap meetings. So we bring on companies and they talk to our students about what they're looking for little bit about their company, um, what they're not looking for. And the guy was like, absolutely not. I do not. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I got, he didn't use overwhelmed, but he's like, I'm busy. I don't want to see 10 products at once. Don't do that to me. Send me one, you know, and then later send me another one, but I don't want to see more than one ever. The guy said, now, not everybody feels that way, but he's like, I don't want to see more than one. I don't have time for it. I won't pay attention to it. I'll ignore it. I'll, I'll skim over and I'll go, well, that looks like too much work. I don't have time for that, you know, but for somebody to look at a sell sheet and spend like 10, 20 seconds or look at a quick 30, 60 second video, they have time for that. So think about it in, in their terms. Um, so Derek, there's a great question. Uh, Ivy said, thanks for everything. Always. I'm in love with InventRight. That's great, Ivy. That's good. I love that. Uh, Fung said, hi, Andrew. Hey, Fung. Uh, uh, oh, Dolly said, I signed up a couple weeks ago, but haven't started the classes yet. Yeah, you know, some people call it a class. I don't know if you're Dolly, if you're signed up for Academy, that is a group class, but we don't have a class. It's one-on-one -on -one mentoring and coaching, you know? And so we help you from day one. And so when some people, I don't even think it's a course, really. It's, 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 it's much deeper than that. Now, if Dolly signed up for Academy, that is group, that is classes, and we do those twice a week. But when you have one-on-one -on -one with your coach, they're looking at your project, they're saying, this is what you need to do, and then they're, 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 you're checking back with them on the next call or via email in between calls. And, and so I don't really consider it a class, um, but I'm just splitting hairs there. Um, so thank you, Dolly. That's great. You know, get, get up and running, get going with things. Uh, Edgar said... Hello, I have a PPA set to expire in September. I made public disclosure last November, um, but I have since taken it down. Okay. Uh, do I need to create a new PPA? And if so, how minimal of a change can I make? So, you know, once you, once you file a PPA and make public disclosure, now a lot of you file PPA, you don't make public disclosure. 
And for the most part, most people don't consider privately showing it via email to a potential licensee, public disclosure. But um, he's, uh, Edgar said he and Jess, Edgar and Jess said he made public exposure, exposure last November and he took it down. So, um, so I won't say this, but I'm, because I'm not an attorney, I can say this. Um, who's going to prove it? So or they could use the Wayback Machine. You can look at a old versions of a website and you can see the Wayback Machine. You can see what was up there before. I don't know where you posted it, but unless, unless millions and millions, like big, big money is being made, nobody's going to hire a private detective to see if you made public disclosure to later invalidate your patent. I've never seen that. But, you know, I don't know if like people are making hundreds of millions of dollars or something. Could somebody go back and maybe find that public disclosure because then they could invalidate your patent? It's possible on 99.9% of the projects that our students are working on, would that ever happen? No, no, it wouldn't. Um, so he's asking now, in order to create a new PA, P PPA, how much do I have to change it? So one year from the time you make a public disclosure, you're toast. Whatever you publicly disclose is public domain. Now, it's kind of weird. And if you file a provisional patent within that year, you get a year from the way time that provisional was filed. So you could file it, um, Edgar, um, let's say today, and you get a year from today. And if you know how to license products and know how to reach out, that should serve you just fine. But let's say you made full-on public disclosure. It's been more than a year. You could take that product and just make an insignificant change or a significant change and cover that in a new PPA. And legally, for the whole invention, not for the whole invention. You could legally, along with the invention in marketing materials, say patent pending. And nobody will know that, you know, you made public disclosure. You're not going to be able to get protection on that. that was publicly disclosed for more than a year, but that you're really only protecting this little hinge over here, which isn't even that good of a feature, but you can legally say patent pending. And because a lot of the time companies aren't obsessed with patents, you could then still get a company to show interest and you could still license it. And if they sign the licensing agreement, they're going to have to pay you for it. Oh, isn't it? That blows people away. This whole like everything is about the patent crap is hanging you guys up. So, um, you know, and there's a lot of alternate strategies like this that no patent attorney will ever share with you because they want to get 10 or 15 grand out of you. Maybe if you file enough patents, they might admit it, but you'd have to come up with it. And, and then they'd be like, well, I guess, you know, it's like, okay. So, um, Edgar, hopefully that was helpful and you understood what I was saying there. Um, Ivy said, a bit of specific question. How long would you say to wait after following up when leadership tells you they are meeting with a, with, with PD, I don't know what PD is, PD on specific day about your concept, um, the purchasing department, I guess you mean, um, a week from that day. Okay. I'm going to think, I think what, what Ivy is saying, and even if it's not, it's still a good question that I've changed or a good answer, I think. Um, so yeah, the company is saying, look, we're going to meet with the purchasing department at this big retailer. And so to see if they like your concept and what Ivy is saying is, well, when should I follow up? So um, 
I would follow up pretty quickly after the day they, if they said they're going to meet on this particular day, I'd probably give it like two days because you want them to kind of think on it a bit, like two days after that specific date they gave you. Absolutely. Um, that's what I would do. Uh, Latroy said, would public disclosure have been an issue if you have a patent? No, if you have an issued patent, you can publicly put up whatever you want. But even if you're licensing and you got an issued patent, I still wouldn't publicly disclose your idea. Like you want to keep it private and show it to potential licensees. Now, some of you have been venturing your idea and selling it yourself, and that's already been publicly disclosed. That's fine. But if you're licensing it, <coughs> posting your invention up on Facebook or doing stupid stuff like, oh, but I have sometimes inventors like, oh, but I got 200 likes on Facebook. I'm like, that means nothing. I mean, it's great. It makes you feel good, but it's all fake. Like if you said 200 people bought it on Facebook and I only put it out this many, great. But if they say they like it or they click like or they make a nice comment, it doesn't mean much. I mean, they've, they've shown in focus groups that when people say they'll buy something, when they are actually asked to open their wallet, only one in 10 people that said they would buy it will actually buy it. So that's why likes on Facebook. Or my dog came in and she's all wet again. Why are you wet? What's she doing? I don't know. Um, let's see. You want to see my dog? You come up, up here, Piper. Up, up, up. There you go. There you go. See? Look at look at look at our buddies there. Yes. Yes. Hello. You gonna answer a question? You gonna answer a question? Come on. Answer the, they they need okay. All right, fine. All right. <laughs> um, for those of you who weren't paying attention, I was thinking that might get your attention. Uh, do, 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 do. So Latroy said, would public disclosure have been an issue if you had a patent? No. I mean, once you get a patent, public disclosure will not compromise your rights. Now, if you publicly disclose a new version you didn't cover in your patent, yeah, then it could mess you up on that new version. File a provisional patent before, before you go ahead. Um, Voyage Travel said, I have an idea for a product that hasn't been changed in decades. When I bring it to a potential company, do I need to just show the new idea or do I need to show them exactly how it works? Um, you, 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 need, you, need to, you need to do a marketing piece. We have our students do a one-page sell sheet or a video showing the benefit of the product. So you need to discuss the benefit of the product with images or with video or however you're going to do that. So you still need to do that. You know, don't assume they're going to do one second of research. When you send a marketing piece to a company, you have six seconds to make an impression. So if you're holding back on something that would confuse them um, because they're not familiar with the base product and you have a new version of it, you just got to show them what it is you know, um, and show them the benefit of the product. Um, uh, Tony said, have any of your students licensed products using anything other than your premium package? Yeah, we, we have we have Academy students licensing products. That's our group coaching program. Uh, not as often as, as the premium program, but I don't know, that kind of makes sense when you're getting one-on-one -on -one, um, help that you're going to have more people license products that way. Um, but yeah, no, we've had a bunch of people yeah. license products with our uh, Academy program as well. Um, let's see. My two cents. Rick says, 
if I send my toy idea in through a portal like Hasbro, do I give up any negotiating? Is it always better to slowly connect with the right person at the company using LinkedIn? Yes, yeah, Stephen and I have been talking about this a lot. It's always better to make a direct connection. Um, the portals are really a waste of the time for the most part. You know, to me, I, I don't see anything wrong with uh, I, Stephen's like, don't even bother. But I don't agree. I think that, you know, if you want to send through the portal like Hasbro and then you also want to reach out directly, you're not going to piss anybody off. They're, they don't have time. Like, oh, you sent through the portal. Why are you saying to me, too? Like, they don't know. It's perfectly fine. So I'd say why not do both? I don't think it would screw you up. But um, re reach out directly to people on LinkedIn or the phone or via email. It's always better. Um Matt said, hello, Andrew. Yeah, for cool TV, for for cool TV show, when I contact an and entertainment lawyer, first just to get backgrounds on how the business works. Okay. I'm not sure what the question is there, Matt. Um, so if you can clarify. Uh, Latroy said, I have a patent looking to learn how to license and also need help with a prototype build. What are your thoughts to get angel investment? Okay, you're all over the place, Latroy. So let's let's help you and help other people listening in. So first off, uh, you didn't need to get a patent. Most inventors think they do. What you're going to learn here at InventRight, watch your show, read your books. Um, you could have just got a provisional patent. It gives you a whole year to fish off the pier. If you know how to license, you can reach out to companies and license your product to them. So because you're asking about angel investment, I don't think you understand what licensing is yet. And there's probably a bunch of other people on here that don't either. So let's just go through it really quick. You don't need to raise money. And you're licensing to companies that are already in the retailers where you want to be. So <clears throat> if you got a new dog toy and they're in Pet, Petco, PetSmart, Target, and Walgreens, they have that distribution. So you're tapping into that existing distribution. And maybe they have 200 pet products. Okay. So they have sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising that all understand it's a machine. And that's where there's two products, is, or 200 products are going through that machine. They take your product and they put it in there. It's their money. It's their workforce. It's their machine. And it's their distribution. They pay you a royalty every quarter. So you don't need angel investors when you're licensing. The big company is a manufacturer. You don't license to Petco or PetSmart. You license the company that sells to Petco or PetSmart, okay? So um, don't file patents anymore. It's an asset, but if you end up not licensing this thing, that was expensive. You know, you can use our software and you can file a provisional patent for $75. So that's a lot better. Um, and then you also don't need a prototype quite often. If you can illustrate the benefit of the product, you don't need a prototype. We do virtual prototypes for our students. Um, maybe you can go down the store and get a product and like cannibalize it and Frankenstein it a bit and turn that into like a crude working prototype. But then you do a virtual prototype. Oh, this is beautiful what it looks like. So don't assume you have to have a prototype and don't assume you have to raise one penny because that's what a licensing deal is. You get the money, the workforce and the distribution all in one place, okay? And to be honest with you, Retailers don't like one SKU, one product companies. So, you know, you would need hundreds of thousands of dollars on even the cheapest little five cent trinket to really get going on any serious level. And then retailers don't want to talk to you because they, oh, well, he's just a guy. You know, it's not a company. 
So, and also imagine like, let's say randomly, let's say the buyer of Bed Bath & Beyond, I have no idea how many SKUs they have, but let's say 50,000 products. Um, if they had a different vendor for every product, they'd be like, they'd be tearing their hair out, right? And so they like to buy from the vendor with 15 products, 50 products, 200 products, what have you. Um, and when you license to that big company, you are that big company. And they have a manufacturer's rep that constantly calls on the buyer. So really, you got to look more into licensing. Thank you for the question, because there's probably a bunch of other new people that um, they're like, oh, okay. And then for those of you who have been with us for a while, you're like, yeah, I already knew that, Andrew. But, you know, we got to help everybody. Um, sorry, my nose is a little itchy. Yeah, uh, Chad said, I called before the show. I have a meeting scheduled with you for tomorrow as I've not assigned me a coach yet. Yeah, Chad, don't don't wait. I would still call and do what I said because that, let, let me see. Oh, no, I see you on the calendar. Okay, maybe you already did that. So, yeah, I see you on our negotiation coach's calendar for 730 Pacific tomorrow. So, great. Yeah, you're right. Paul's not going to be your main coach. We're going to sign you a coach. But you got interest. You just signed up. We're going to get you on Paul. He's going to guide you through that. Um, you know, I don't want you to have to wait. Okay. Yeah. You're going to call back schedule. Okay. So you, you took care of that. That was from earlier. Uh, uh, Ms. Tish said happy Monday all on purpose. Cool. Okay. Uh, Fuego fool is their handle. How do you get a company to pay once you have a contract in place without suing them? or through mediation. Okay, I don't know why you're thinking that it has to be done. What if they are not abiding by the contract? What needs to be in the contract? There's a lot of stuff that needs to be in the contract. Um, so first off, you vet the company and our negotiation coach, Paul, will help you vet them, will help you ask questions to figure out if it's right. And then along with a lot of that information, you're going to decide what you're going to put in the licensing agreement. Like, for instance, just one of many things, minimum guarantees. They need to pay a minimum amount every quarter. You're not just pulling that out of your head. You know, it's a fraction of what you know they can sell, and they'll argue about it quite often, but it's not negotiable. So because you don't want them to just be able to sit on it if they're not, um, if they're not selling it, right? So uh, Fuego Fool is their handle. I've never had a, stu a student of ours have to sue a company for not paying royalties. I've never, ever seen that in 22 years. So that should give you a pretty good frame of reference. Now, I've talked to inventors. I keep mentioning them on these chats. I probably shouldn't, but they're not talking about them specifically by name or anything. But I've talked to inventors outside InventRight. Usually it's people that weren't really following us. And they they say, well, I signed up. I did a, I did a licensing deal. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're like, oh, but they never launched it. And I'm like, oh, why not? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know why. And I asked them like the most basic questions. And this has happened a couple times this year. And I'm just like blown away. So by being stupid, you can get yourself into big trouble. And I say, well, where do they distribute? Well, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? You did a licensing deal with them and you can't tell me all the retailers they're in? No, I, I can't. You know, I'm like, what? It's just, it's just, it's, it blows my mind. So, um, but this thought that they want to sign a deal with you and you have to sue them. I mean, you've got, yeah, if you've got a licensing contract, 
that says they need to pay you this much quarterly. And then they, you have an audit clause in there. I've never had a single one of our students have to ever audit a company before, but you want it in there. You always wanted the contract. So I wouldn't go around suing people. I would probably audit their books first if it's part of the licensing agreement, which all of ours it is, um, and then go from there. Um, and usually when there is an audit, which we've never, ever had a student ever do this, um, if they're off board more than 5%, they have to pay for it. But if they're not, then you have to pay for it. But imagine it's like, I don't trust you. So I would do that before I would sue anybody. My God. Um, so what needs to be in the contract? Way too much to go into. There's a ton of stuff in a licensing contract. And so sometimes people think I'm selling my patent. It's like, no, never, ever say that. That's like the biggest rookie move ever. You are licensing your product, the innovation, the know-how um, in the licensing agreement. It doesn't have to be tied to a patent. Okay, that's Heather calling me. Hold on. I told her I'm on live stream. She's probably gonna be like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's so cool. Heather's amazing. Um, so, yeah. So I can't include everything that's in a licensing contract, but there's something called a licensing contract. People don't understand that. It doesn't have to be dependent on a patent. And yeah, all that stuff is called out, man. Don't go around suing people. But you, you were just, a lot of other people were thinking exactly what you said. So it was a great question. Um, let's see. Let's see where we lost track here, where I don't want to pass anybody up. Uh, hmm. LaTroy said, are there options when seeking a federal licensure deal for an idea? I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know what you mean by federal. I don't, I don't. So if you could clarify, that would be great. Um, uh, hello, Andrew. This is William. I'm from New Jersey. I just recently got my design patent approved. Would you suggest getting a utility patent or a design patent protects me all the way? Um, pro my guess is, and if you've got a good patent attorney, they did it legit. And they, so when I see people design patents, this is usually what happens. They went to their attorney. Their attorney's like, eh, I have some concerns on getting a utility patent on this. Let's do a design patent. And a design patent is just a drawing. It's very simple to do. And they just figure, well, this is attorneys that aren't cool. Well, at least I'll get a buck out of them for the design patent since I, I can't really file the utility patent. Um, now, to give them credit, um, there, there's plenty of licensing attorneys. There, there are licensing attorneys. I wouldn't say plenty. There are licensing attorneys that will do garbage utility patents for you anyway. Okay. So they're the worst, but some are like, you know, they're, they're a little more ethical and they're, and most patent attorneys are ethical. So don't misinterpret anything I'm saying here, but they're like, you know, I, I don't really feel like I can get this guy any protection with the utility patent, which is functionality utility, those patents with all the words, right? And that you see, I'm just putting it in layman's terms. And they're like, I, I think we could get something with a design patent. Now, um, sometimes I see design patents that are useless too. And they're like, well, at least I can make a quick buck. It might offer some sort of protection. But then other times the attorney is recommending it because they're a great attorney. And they're like, oh, with this particular product, a design patent would actually have, um, give this inventor some protection because you can be creative with how you do a design patent 
and you can do that. Most products, design patents would make sense. Say 95% of products, design patents would make sense. Um, so I guess the question is, William, did your, your attorney get you a design patent because you insisted on a patent and he knew you couldn't get a utility. So he's like, well, let's just do a design. Okay. And then the question is, is it a design that is just for the hell of it that would be easy to get around? Because if it's a design patent, it's just the way something looks, not the way something functions. And if you don't have a particular type of product, it's pretty much useless. Now, if, if it's the way, if they were clever in the way they did it, it can be great. The design patent would be great. But I'm a little confused. You know, if you file a design patent and you're saying, would you suggest getting a utility patent? You know, usually your attorney has already told you at that point, don't do a utility. So I'm curious as to why you have a design patent, because most of the time it's not applicable. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and as I said earlier, we don't recommend. Now, when you file a provisional patent, that's $75. That is a provisional utility patent. There is no such thing as a provisional design patent. So, you know, when you do a design patent, you're probably going to spend at least $1,500, at least. So um, that is cheaper than a utility patent, but still have a hell of a lot more than $75 for a provisional patent. So do I advise people to run around getting design patents? No. Um, and getting patents? No. Um, and by the way, legal disclaimer, anything we share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. So there's my disclaimer. I think I said it at the top, but I forget. Um, so you really got to take a look if that makes sense. I cannot possibly answer that. I haven't seen your product, you know. Um, but no, I wouldn't ever recommend filing a patent unless you've already used up the year the provisional patent gave you. And most of the time, if you make public disclosure, you haven't even used that up. So you might, if you got a design patent, you might want to file a provisional. So it's kind of cool because then you could say patented and patent pending. You know, um, I had a, stu a student of ours I was just talking to last week and he had a, uh, an idea, which I vast majority of the time almost never do I recommend this, but he's in an industry that's very, very difficult um, in medical. And he already has an issued patent. And I said, you know, I would file a provisional on this because now you can say patented and patent pending and only the cost you know, there's 75 bucks. So you can keep the honest companies honest, you know, or, you know, so that's a, that's the little trick that you can use. Um, Roaming Tortoise said, I did a patent search on an idea. I found a patent that's pretty close to my idea, but the patent was abandoned is that a sign that the idea isn't worth it or an opportunity to improve it? It is absolutely positively not a sign that the invention didn't make any sense because huge numbers of inventors file patents and they never do anything with it. They never reach out to a single freaking company. And if they do, it's terrible marketing materials, not to 20 or 30 companies like we teach our students to do, but to two or three. And the marketing materials suck and they send an email to the info at email on some website or somebody they found and then they're like, oh, I guess I'm done with that. You know, so it should never be considered that the idea isn't good because somebody filed a patent and it later became abandoned because most inventors file patents and then they expect the, the world to be the path to their door. At least that was the case in the past. I think we're doing a lot to educate people that that's not how it works. Um, so, no. Uh, also, now, whatever is in that patent that's abandoned, um, that's public domain now. Anybody can do it. Okay. So, but if you have an improvement to it, 
you know, like, well, no, the base product would work, but also I make it even a little better with this. Then you can still get a patent on that improvement. But the base patent that was abandoned, um, that is now public domain. Anybody can do it. So make sure you have some improvement um, to it. And but see what the company's interested in and make adjustments. I would not kick that idea to the curb at all for that reason. If you feel like it makes sense, I would totally go for it. <clears throat> I love when we get questions like that that are a little bit more specific because um, I think we shock a lot of people with our answers. And, and I think that's great because it's giving you a, a mindset, a framework. Um, and by the way, um, don't hesitate to go to InventRight and check out our free resource. So you just go to inventright.com. There's a free resources button in the upper right-hand corner. A ton of free stuff for you guys to check out there. Um, Arturo said, what if you have done a sell sheet already and then you find a similar product is already out there? What can you do at that point? Um, well, just like at any point, you need to evaluate if there's a similar product out there and then I look at my, well, first of all, how well is that product doing? Okay. So, and don't assume that all products have patents. A company may be selling a product and there's no patent on it. Okay. That's very common. Companies don't file patents on every product they work on. My God. Um, people are, I don't know, attorneys have brainwashed you guys if you think that's the case. Or it's just society. It's like we value patents so much. People are like, well, there's a good product. And it's like, but when you look at companies, they're not filing patents on everything they do. We've had so many bridging the gap companies come on and tell our students, like, no, we're not filing patents. Oh, on well, this type of product, maybe, or never, or oh, fairly often. Um, but no company files patents on absolutely everything they do. Um, so um, if you see that product is similar, don't think, well, I'm violating their patent. Like, look it up. Look up the name of the company, see if they have a patent. Go, okay, I'm not violating their patent, but... If you see it in the marketplace, how long has it been there? If it's only been there for six months. It's not really telling you if the product, you're not really getting the feedback. But if they've been selling it for five years, crap, and they're still selling it, you know, um, then it's like, oh, that's a viable product. So that should be encouraging to you, not discouraging, because you know, there's this product in the market. It's been selling for five years. They would have taken it off the market if it wasn't selling halfway decent. So it's a, it's a thumbs up that you have a good idea. So, but they have that exact product. So now how different is yours? Now let's say yours is exactly like what they've been selling. Don't freak out. Go, okay, I've been thinking about this thing freaking forever. I'm going to make a little improvement to it. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it a little bit different. And I'm still going to try to license it. Um, if you can't come up with that and it's exactly the same, well, then you might not have something to license, but you can probably come up with some improvement or change, but it's probably not exactly the same and your product may have a benefit. But Arturo, I would say do more thorough research. That's one thing that our students, even our students who kind of are next level, I think, compared to most inventors, um, they'll resist and you know they won't do as much research as the coach wants them to. And the coach will go, no, I need more info here. Let's look at it together. Look at this. Look at that. People always want to skim over that. You don't want to file a provisional pad and make your list of companies, make your sell sheet or video, and then reach out. And then a company is like, well, what about this thing right here? And you're like, oh, crap. Like, Do it up front, you know. Um, but sometimes things just come up. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you made a sell sheet, you're going to need to change it if you're going to change the product. If it's, 
if you know you're just gonna need to do that that's okay it's just all part of the game you know uh and he said if we have an invention can we come to you guys and split the licensing deal no we don't do that because if we did that then there's a lot of reasons why we don't do that one we're all about empowering our students so they can license products the rest of their life um two we don't want to become an invention promotion company where we're just licensing products for inventors because all those guys they don't ever get licensing deals or almost never get licensing deals. I've never met an inventor myself that's ever had an invention promotion company license a product for them. Um, so uh, it's, and also like, what if we were like licensing, working with some inventors and on their product and then the other inventor is like, oh, but, but you didn't want to work on mine. So I guess my idea is no good. It's like, it's like, that's not our business model. Our business model is to empower inventors. The idea, who is who asked that question? Andy, the idea is like five to 10% of light of selling an idea at most, the idea itself. The other 90% is the rest of the stuff we teach you. So you can't just have ideas and expect somebody to sell it for you. Now, the company is going to sell it for you, the licensee um, that you license it to that has distribution. If they're doing dog toys or they're doing kitchen or whatever your product is and they have distribution in all the stores, they're going to take and run it from there. But you still need to reach out. You need to contact for most projects, 20, 30 companies on LinkedIn, phone and email. Still need to make a marketing piece and follow your PPA. Once you get the process down, you can do this forever. And whenever I ask inventors that are interested in our program, I say, are you, uh, do you have other ideas? And, and almost every time they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is my main focus right now. I'm like, great. By working on this project, we're going to increase your chances of licensing because we're going to guide you through it the entire way. Tell you specifically what to do. Negotiation coach, coach. It's almost, you know, you're doing the work, but we're guiding you, making sure you don't make any mistakes. Okay. But now you've got the skill. You've been through the process and now you can license products the rest of your life. So Andy, we're in, we're, believe in empowering inventors. And that's what makes us different too. And so if we were just licensing products for inventors, we'd just be like all these terrible invention promotion companies where things don't go anywhere. Um, so, and also we need to, you know, how do you sign up for coaching? LaTroy wrote, you go to inventright.com and then I would click on services and the premium program is what almost everybody signs up for. And so I go to inventright.com and then click on services. You can get more info there. Um, so hopefully that was helpful, Andy. I think it was a perfectly good question, but that's why we don't do it. Um, and don't think you'll find anybody else that will do it for you. If you're not willing to reach out to companies to license, now you don't need to start a business. You know, you, you're going to license to them and now it's all on them. The money, the work, the manufacturing, the sales, the day-to-day the, the -day distribution, everything. But if you're not willing to do that work, you're just going to find all these invention promotion companies and say, oh, give us 10 or 12 grand. Then they pretend to work on it for a year. At the end of the year, you have nothing to show for it. And they go, oh, nobody's interested. You don't even know if you send it to anybody, you know? So um, don't fall into that trap, man. I talked to so many people that fall into that trap. Um, uh, Steven said, um, how can I refile my PPA? My PPA is expiring in September. You just take the provisionally filed, add whatever new you want to it, or just keep it the same. And, and then file it just like you did before. So, um, you know, it's just that simple. Um, uh, Tornado 360, I have a contract for my DRTV, direct response DTV, 
for DTV. You mean DRTV. Okay. For my invention, I have two versions, including one for gyms. Licensee wants all versions in the contract. Should I have two contracts? What if he doesn't promote the gym version? Okay. Let's see. Well, I don't see why. Okay. You got a gym version. I don't see why you can't include both. You just need to stipulate that in the contract. You need to get help um, with that contract. We can help you. Um, but uh, you need to get help with, you know, negotiation points like that. Um, definitely. I don't see why you couldn't put two versions in the contract. I don't see a problem with that. But it sounds like they might have very different distribution channels. So if you wanted to separate them, I don't see any harm in that either. You know, um, but you you just have to create milestones or minimum guarantees or so many other things. You know, if you've got a gym version, then you got a home version, right? Because it's a DRTV product. That's two completely different products. So I, I, I do kind of agree with you now that I'm thinking about this. It's kind of weird to put those in the same agreement. Like, why couldn't you make an agreement and make them separate? So if they never launched a DRTV or if they never launched a gym version, that they can't hold on to that. So actually, I, 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 now that I think about it a bit, I would put them into two different contracts without a doubt. But that's not legal advice. Um, <laughs> Fung said, hi, Andrew. Do we have an old video of Bridging the Gap I can watch? Uh, Bridging the Gap is just for our students. So that's a, a service an extra that's just exclusively for InventRight students. Um, so what we do with that program is we bring on uh, companies that are looking for ideas and they say, here's a little bit of our company. Here's our product line. And they, we share the screen and stuff and they're all on zoom live with our students. Most of the students don't attend live cause it's all different times and they watch the replay, but usually we'll have a percentage of students uh, attending live and they talk about what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. And it's just like, well, this, this marketing manager, the CEO, they're, they're a person just like me. And they're, they're all really cool. Um, I haven't had anybody on there that wasn't, uh, and we only do that for our students for a very particular reason, because when we we've done some YouTube shows where we'll say, um, hey, this company is looking for ideas and the companies end up getting mad at us. And you're like, Andrew, why would they get mad at you? Well, because we and we even went into the video and we said, oh, only send this type of thing, only send that. And all a bunch of the inventors heard is open to ideas. And so they're sending a a bicycle accessory to a mattress company. It's freaking ridiculous. And it's, it's so unprofessional. So it happened enough times that these other inventors screwed it up for you guys and we can't do that anymore. So we can't say, here's the new company and they're looking for ideas. You can send them ideas. Here's where you send them. You know, so the, the relationship we make with these bridging the gag companies is very important. And we want them to go, wow, your students are so professional. They're so much better than the wacky inventors just spamming us with stuff and didn't even look at our product line and the presentations are terrible and stuff. So we want to maintain that relationship for our students. We're not going to screw that up. And that's the reason why we don't do it on YouTube anymore. Because um, there was enough clueless inventors that, you know, even though we said in the video, do this, don't do this, they didn't follow instructions at all. They didn't care. All they heard was, open to ideas and they'll send whatever they have to that, that person. And they're, they're like, Oh my God, we got inundated with like insane amounts of submissions. And they're like, I don't have time for that. Um, so guys don't, you guys are listening to me ramble for an hour. 
I don't think that's any of you guys. Maybe one or two, but probably almost none. Um, I don't think you guys are doing that. But there's another type of inventor that doesn't call, is never interested in our coaching program because they never want to do work. They just have ideas and they want to see whatever is right in front of their face and they don't want to use their brain, you know, and they just want to come up with ideas and they, they don't want to make any effort beyond just coming up with an idea. That inventor will never be successful. Okay. Um, so Fung, sorry, that was a really long answer. That's why, no, we, we can't share uh, the Bridging the Gap videos with the public and we never will because of exactly that. Um, Okay, great. Oh, yeah. So Chad was saying, I call back, got scheduled with Paul tomorrow morning, and then I have a call with the company at noon. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's fantastic. Paul can tell you exactly how to handle yourself on the call. He's going to put you at ease. That's that's amazing. Um, let's see. Now I lost track. Um <laughs> Richard said, you guys should create some merchandise that said I live for nose. Yeah, we are going to create an InventRight um, merch site. A lot of our students were creating their own T-shirts themselves. And we're like, I think it's time to have an InventRight like merch site. And we can have some um, things like I live for nose or things like that on there. Maybe a little logo. And that, that would be a lot of fun. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah. Ivy's clarified from earlier. Okay. Um, Nathan said, I'm a young inventor and I designed an unpickable lock, but I don't know uh, what to do first. We had a, a 15-year-old inventor enter our contest and he was one of the winners. There's some really smart teenagers these days. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe they're the ones that aren't just constantly on social media trying to impress people and they want to do something with their lives. But uh, I'm, in, I'm impressed by some inventor, young inventors that I've seen. It's amazing. So Nathan wrote, I'm a young inventor. I've designed an unpickable lock, but I don't know what to do first. Um, you know, locks have been around forever and a day, Nathan. That's pretty amazing if you feel like you've created an unpickable lock because uh, most locks are extremely pickable. And um, I know some old guys, I remember at my inventor association I used to run decades ago, um, he was a locksmith and he'd come up with all these inventions and stuff. So part of me is like, okay, you're saying you're young. So I don't know how young you are, but let's say you're a teenager or 20 something. And to, to think that there's this locksmith and he totally knows locks and then you could come up with something better than he would. Maybe because why not? Part of me is like, well, you really got to look at the market of all either locks. But part of me is like, you're thinking outside the box. You're not a locksmith. You're thinking different. So maybe, you know, maybe you did something unique that's that's there. Um, but I would really get on the Google Images and Amazon and look at uh, um, super secure locks, unpickable lock, a Google, all that stuff. I would see everything else out there that people are claiming to be unpickable. Now, locks can be unpickable, but they can be breakable, Right. Um, you know, I know you can get like, uh, for front doors, you can get these bump keys. I've become knowledgeable about this because I've had students work on different stuff and you get these bump keys and like, if it's a quick set lock, those are garbage by the way. Um, you know, which a lot of us have them, right. Cause they're most prevalent. 
And, you know, the thieves will have like a, a bunch of bump keys, like a couple bump keys. And one of them, they just keep jiggling it or jiggle keys, I think they call them. And they can open your freaking door. It's scary. Um, but then you have bike locks or physical locks, you know, you can smash them open quite often. For door locks, you kind of got to pick them. You're not going to take a big sledgehammer and slam the, the handle. But I would just, Nathan, I would look very thoroughly at what other unpickable locks or what, what is down the market do your market research forget about patent searching do your market research to see what's out there and uh that's fantastic good on you man that's great uh richard said that dog is so cute yeah she took off here i don't know if she's still here no i don't think she's here anymore um okay i'm getting all the dog comments now i'm only to the dog comments so yeah so we're we're what about five minutes over and i only got down to the point where my dog jumped up here I have two. I have a black one and a white one. Um, and it's it's nuts. My wife and my daughter are out of town, um, out of the country, actually, for 21 days. They should be back soon. And so it's just me and the dogs. Um, <laughs> and it's been fun. Um, let's see. All right. So I, I got to call it a, a day. We, we got to a lot of questions. We got to the vast majority of the questions. As I always say, if I didn't get to one of your questions, show up earlier and ask really early, like I'm talking the first five, 10 minutes and your question's going to get answered. Um, I'll be here back here next Monday at four o'clock Pacific, seven Eastern, whatever that is for your time zone. Um, make sure to check out inventright.com and click on free resources, ton of cool stuff there. And if you're interested in getting coaching, um, we have students licensing stuff all the time. A lot of you are like, I've never had a coach before. Most of our students have never had a coach before and definitely not an invention coach, but it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. We've been doing this for 22 years. So you go to InventRight, click on services um, if you want to check that out. So I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you. Bye.